0: What's up Gumbo listeners? Demetrius Malbro here with another Data Protection Gumbo episode. And this one is titled 2021, Software Defined Storage Predictions. And to drop some knowledge for us today, I have Steven Umbahaker, founder and CEO of OS Nexus on the podcast. And Steve has worked in the enterprise software and storage industry for over 20 years holding engineering leadership roles at companies, including Citrix Systems, Symantec and Veritas. And Steve also holds over 20 patents. Yes, two zero patents. That is a lot in the areas of storage systems technology, SDS and cloud computing. So Gumbo listeners, Steve will be dropping some deep knowledge on software defined storage predictions, which storage technologies are on their way out and the new ones that are on their way in, and so much more on this episode. So I hope you enjoy the show, and be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcast. Steven, welcome to The Gumbo. How are you? Doing good. Thanks for having me on today, Demetrius. I'll start off a little light, and then we can kind of work our way towards some of the, some of the heavier technical stuff. How does that sound?
1: Yeah, that sounds great, Demetrius.
0: All right. So... What are some of the storage use cases that that you are seeing in the storage industry right now, and has there been a shift or trend that is worth mentioning for the gumbo listeners
1: the uh The, the trend is t- that we're seeing is just towards larger and larger capacities because the the markets really started you know in the last five ten years really bifurcated into those that are using the public cloud and those that are building private clouds, and it's kind of a scale thing. If you're at a certain scale, it's just much more it, economically. It's much better to have a private cloud, and performance-wise, it's much better to have a private cloud. But at a at a certain cutoff point, uh, that it just it doesn't make sense to go build your own cloud. You know, a lot of small medium businesses are saving a huge amount of money by going to the to the private cloud. But it's kind of it's like, uh, you know, rent versus own, you know, if you own uh, an asset, you can depreciate it over time. And typically, there's a lower cost to it. So if you're a trucking company, you want to own the trucks versus versus uh, renting them. Uh, and I, I think that that's the kind of similar thing that happens in the uh, in the storage industry. And it's and it's pretty huge, the cost of the equipment and all of that versus, you know, renting it from Amazon, the price savings about 80%. So there's just a huge amount of savings when you're at scale and you're, and you're building a private cloud. So just
0: just a little plug on, on OS Nexus. Can you explain to the Gumbo listeners what OS Nexus is and just give us a little history about the company and what you're going what's going on right now?
1: Yeah, uh, I started the company uh, a little over uh, 10 years ago. So actually, we're, we're going on 11 years this October. And um, as you mentioned, I, I got started in the storage industry there uh, a, a long while back. And we, the teams that I led were really integrating a lot of these uh, different uh, storage arrays from, you know, EMC and NetApp and, and others. And so we, we, uh, I, I built up a lot of knowledge in that area and had an idea to go and make a pure software, you know, a software defined storage uh, storage array. And and that was before kind of the the, the term was coined back in two thousand nine. It was just hey, let's let, there there were some technologies on Linux that could, uh, that were there, and I, I kind of felt it was the right time to get started. But honestly, I kind of started a little too early. The the market wasn't really ready for software defined back then. But now it's a, mm-hmm. it's a hot area because it, you know the, the, so many companies are moving away from custom bezeled proprietary uh, technologies and and looking for you know everything software defined in their in their data center. So our software is a file block and object software defined storage platform that runs on all commodity hardware. So it's it's Linux based and and so you can just bare metal install it on a server or a group of virtual machines and the two things that kind of make our product stand out is our use of open open source storage technologies like Ceph and ZFS and and our grid technology. So the grid technology lets you combine all the boxes together so that you can manage it all as one.
0: Okay, yeah, that that sounds very exciting. And since since you you've been around the block somewhat, you know, in the storage industry, so you've seen a lot. What what do you see, or where do you see the industry, the storage industry, heading? Or how has it changed just over the last couple of years? I know you have, you know, more than a decade of experience, you know, just with your own company and and building that, and uh, also your uh, storage skill set as well. What do you see? the industry going, especially with the rise of of public cloud that's happening?
1: We see the areas like genomics and research institutions, the universities, they they have huge demands for storage. And I I really see this composable infrastructure as sort of the next big wave. And the death of the hard drive is sort of a new wave of uh, sort of like a refresh that'll be happening in the data centers over the next two years. If you take a look at, the kind of the really incremental growth and in capacity on the hard drives versus the capacity on SSDs. The SSDs are, are growing by Moore's law in terms of capacity, and they're going down in price in terms of Moore's law as well. So it's uh, it's going to, it's, everything's changing. That combined with 5G is going to, uh, you know, the data centers are going to look completely different five years from now. And, uh, and, and it's an exciting time. Yeah. The NVMe protocol is, is sort of, replacing everything. SATA is on its way out. The SCSI-SAS protocols are on their way out. Fiber channel's out. It's. Uh, I think that we're going to see just sort of NVMe over fabrics kind of dominating the storage connectivity pretty quickly just because of, of, of just sort of the, the pace of innovation.
0: Yeah, and I, I haven't seen or heard a lot about stuff lately and and maybe that's because I'm kind of focused on on the IT automation side and in DevOps now and just a little bit in backup and recovery since I do still have that uh LinkedIn group that has over, you know, 20,000 backup and recovery professionals in it. Any interesting stories around I guess Ceph and OpenZFS as far as uh like adoption and what what the curve is looking like from your perspective around those technologies?
1: Yeah. We, we get a lot of companies coming to us now because they they have already kind of like made the decision to, to use open storage technologies, and now they really need some way to manage it in a really turnkey way. And Ceph is really, file systems take like 10 years for them to really get good. Uh, they have bugs in them, just like any other piece of software. And so right. most businesses aren't going to go and put their data into a, a brand new file system, which makes it really tough for storage startups. If you're a storage startup that's like new into the scene and you come up with some new file system, it's going to be really tough to go get, you know, Disney to go use that as their their uh, as an example, to go use that for their data. Um, but, you know, Ceph has hit, crossed that mark past the, or, or right at the decade mark. ZFS, the same thing, it's been around for more than a decade. So it's really in its stride in terms of you know pace of innovation stability maturity and so so yeah we see uh w- there is a appointment that that we just uh, started last week that was a couple petabytes and, and there's several others that were that are working on that one w- is in uh for transit authority so you know government uh, entertainment genomics um it's it, ceph is just everywhere now it's not it's not like we have to go and uh, like really teach them what, what it's about or what OpenZFS is about. Um, defense contractors too, they're all kind of like, hey, I, I don't wanna get locked into another proprietary technology, what's my way out? And, and we really make it so that they can bridge that gap where they, they don't have to go deal with all the complexity that Ceph and ZFS and kind of rolling your own storage uh, would entail. Okay. So it it looks like, I guess, that deployment that
0: you mentioned in the transportation sector, that they are, I guess, moving away from some of the proprietary storage technologies that they currently have and moving more, I guess, moving into Ceph completely. Mm -hmm. Do do you know what, I guess, their main reason, uh, I guess, maybe other than cost that you know, they've decided to kind of go with it, with that, um, technology overall.
1: Yeah. I, I think, you know, as the, the Ceph, the the name for that technology comes from cephalopod and it's hmm. uh, basically like a, a squid or an octopus, right? And really? I did not know Yeah, that. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Sage Wheel, the, the creator of the file system was in the UC school system and w- developed, uh, uh, that file system many years ago and and that uh, that idea that you can basically have any part of the system just if you've got 10 servers that you could just turn some of them off and have the system still running uh, is the general idea. And, and so the architecture is designed so that every piece is designed to scale out. So whether it's the metadata management or the uh, the the storage the pieces that actually store the, the the data storage, or the gateway interface to the to the object storage, everything kind of designed to scale out and and also be able to be redundant. So there's th- that is is really appealing when you, you know, in this case it's for, um, camera footage, you know, to make sure that, that bus terminals and things like that are all protected and that, that, that there's active cameras on, on that stuff for people's safety. And so you, you just, you don't want to lose any, any footage. You don't want any downtime due to like an equipment failure. And so Seth resiliency in, you know, in the, in the face of, you know, an, an equipment failure just makes it so ideal and, and, uh, it's it's kind of an evolution of where uh, really like Isilon had kind of really started the, the big boom with with scale out NAS uh, over a decade ago, and and this is this is taking that to the next the next level uh, with uh, it being in the open. It it gets a whole community around it. I think there's like something over a couple hundred contributors to Ceph, a whole bunch of different companies, and so it's really you know uh, brought brought that type of, you know, highly available scale out storage to, to everyone.
0: Okay. Yeah. And and since I guess right now, just rolling with the sign of the times and, you know, we're in this pandemic and you, you, you can't have a podcast episode without mentioning, you know, the effects of COVID-19. But I, I guess with all of the research and development focus on biotech, you know, these days, you know, with the COVID-19 pandemic, how are you seeing that influence customers and, and those in that sector.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's a tough situation out there for the universities because they're they're doing and the research institutions. I, I think that mm-hmm. a lot of cases, there uh, when it comes to research at the universities, their budgets get cut because there's not as many new you know students coming in. It's distance learning. Right. Enrollments are down in a lot in, in, at, at most. And so they need to go and, you know, stretch their dollar. And that's also kind of starting to accelerate more adoption of, of the Ceph technology that, that we use within the, the platform. Uh, so they, yeah, it, those areas, they just need huge amounts of, of storage in order to, you know, do the machine learning and other types of processing that they do on the data. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... Yeah, the areas like laser tunneling microscopy for biology departments, to you know the the, the COVID uh, uh, research efforts that uh, um, you know sequencing these these viruses and figuring out the mutations and and all that, all that stuff's really data intensive and and really requires fast storage and, and a lot of it.
0: Okay. Yeah, and I guess in in true true gumbo fashion, uh, Steve, I, I like to jump around a little bit. I I try to connect the dots, you know, on, on different things. And one that I'm thinking about now is load balancing and, you know, how it pertains to storage. I know it's a, it's a key component and, you know, we know it's important to distribute incoming network traffic across, let's say a a server pool or, um, that it does not, you know, need to be done manually. You know, are you familiar with, uh, this one thing, I think it's called Kemp Load balancer solutions, and and if so, can you tell us, you know, what it is and and how it's used in in the storage environment?
1: Yeah, uh, Kemp is a uh, uh, like you said, it's a it's a load balancer, and and they've got um, they've really taken the the load balancing technology that was really heavily advanced by companies like F five, and then made it it so that it would run in containers and virtual machines, uh, and uh, it's. For, for those maybe a little less um, familiar with the, the load balancers, it's basically if you're going to a website and, and it's a really popular website, you don't want that whole website being served by one server. You want it such that, you know, that company will set up, you know, 10 or 20 or 100 or or in cases like Netflix and other major services, thousands of servers, and so your your connections got to get routed to the computer that's idle. It's kind of like when you go to the grocery store, you want to get into that line that's the shortest, or go to that check stand that's empty, so you can get right through. And that's what the load balancer does. It essentially, goes and and sends you to the the line that's the shortest, so that you can get your your video feed for the movie you're watching, or or uh, the content from the website really quickly. And so, Kemp Kemp is 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 pretty amazing. I mean, they've done a great job really making that instead of like a, a physical a hardware appliance, making that into something uh, purely virtual. And it's so much better than like alternatives. Like if you, if you take a look at what uh, the way that uh, typically people do lo- load balance uh, uh, in a low cost way, super, super low cost way is they use round robin DNS. And so what that is, it just it's like if you were walking up to the check stands and there was somebody there that just mindlessly told you to go to the first check stand and the next person to the second and the third. And, and you know, they're not even looking at the length of the line. You know, it's like there might be a huge, you know, delay on check stand one because somebody's got, you know, five carts. But they're going to send the round robin DNS is like I'm going to send you to that line no matter what, and so that yeah. uh, it just keeps going back, back. You know, like if you've got ten servers, it'll go one through ten and then repeat that, and and so that's where Kemp is is really great. It's got that knowledge of how much bandwidth is available on each of those uh, you know network connections, and will route you to the fastest uh, fastest lane. And so th- that's that's kind of the magic of, of those of those load balancers. Okay, so
0: I, I guess you, you've tested it out quite a bit, and it, it seems to be, I guess, doing, doing the job that, that you expect it to do, right?
1: Yeah, it, it does. And in fact, we wrote up some documentation on our, uh, if you go to the OS Nexus uh, if website, we have like a mash. We, we, whenever we start working with a new technology partner uh, like Kemp, uh, which we started working with Kemp uh, sometime last year, uh, we we go and write up some documentation so customers can can set it up more easily with with uh, with our product and know kind of all things to tie it in with the object storage interface and and mm-hmm. get it going. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. See, I I did do a little research before this call, so I I found Kemp out on the website and it's like, hey, let's let's mention mention this load balancer tech technique, which uh, I think would be you know beneficial to some of the listeners that. You know, maybe looking for a way to, you know, low balance the traffic that's coming, you know, through their their storage devices. I was also going to just kind of go with the sign of the times as well, which I, I really like being relevant uh, as far as, you know, what's happening in current events. And, you know, with the rise of, you know, the social unrest and, you know, the inequality that's being brought to the forefront you know, with things like Black Lives Matter and, um, you know, from that perspective, you know, what what are you seeing in the law enforcement industry around, let's say, digital forensics, which I guess are typically deployed as NAS systems, right? And they can, yeah, I think they can like really integrate easily with some of the file security management systems like Active Directory. You know, has, has there been a shift your perspective you know from in in that particular industry it's it's
1: it's just been growing a lot uh you know the i think that um people are demanding that the you know f- from uh, the forensic side it's more like you know capturing uh data from like a a cell phone or something like that they they get a suspect and they'll get the cell phone mm-hmm. and then they'll just copy all the all the, uh, the data off of it, and then they've got to hold it for some number of years. And it kind of depends on what, what they're investigating and, and, and all of that. So yeah, NAS, scale out NAS is really important for that because sometimes they need to hold this data for tens of years and other, and, and when you start collecting uh, lots and lots of data, it's all encrypted, you know, and, and is, is in a really highly uh, secure uh, uh, storage configuration, but uh, that, that's an area of growth. And I think the body cams is a big area of growth, and just sort of like cameras and stuff like that, just for just for everybody's general safety. I mean, it, it's it's like like you're saying with Black Lives Matter. I think it's it's going to show just how important it is to have these body cams on on the police officers for their safety and and the public safety because it just um, it, it just it's infuriating when you see you know the uh, the police violence and uh, and that there's. You know, just finally starting. You know, I, it's it's really hopeful to see that there's some real attention on this. That, that the problem can start to kind of come to the fore. And and I think that there's some technologies like body cams that are going to make life better for everybody. I feel like it's just got a long way to go. This idea that a, a police officer that you know could have a body cam fail or get covered up or something like that. To me, it's like okay, well, we need to have more cameras, and and we need to have. Uh, you know cameras just just more cameras in general uh in order to make sure that that uh you know people get get their fair uh day uh in court and and also that there's a distance in it for violence right because if that violence is on camera that police officer now is is on record yeah and
0: and you know what both of us we're in technology so we when we see a body cam or we see, um, you know, people with their cell phones and they're videoing and streaming live to one of these social platforms in real time. And I've seen tons of videos of um, uh, people that look like myself, uh, obviously, uh, so so black people, you know, being done wrong, et cetera. The technology is increasing. And what we have to realize since we're in technology, we understand that that data has to be stored Somewhere That's only increasing because we, we are at a critical point in 2020 that we can use the technology to kind of expose, you know, some of the things that's been happening for, you know, hundreds of years and the technology should be used, you know, for the right purpose and storage is only increasing and being able to, to store that data in, in an intelligent fashion is uh, something that's becoming, you know, more and more critical um, and I think, you know, OS Nexus is, is playing a, a key role in making sure that, you know, all of that mission critical information and data is stored and, um, you know, it's retrievable in, in in the fact that, you know, there's a court case or, you know, someone needs to retrieve it and take a look at it and look at the evidence. So um, I, that's what I see. We
1: like to think that we're sort of changing the industry by sort of stacking the deck in favor of the customers, whereas, you know a, a lot of the proprietary vendors that would go out and and you know uh charge exorbitant prices when the systems needed renewals there's a term in the industry that's you you you're probably familiar with called the forklift upgrade and that and, and that, that that's that's where you know uh, for those that don't know at the end of like three years you know the the big brands would go in and say no no you can't keep that equipment anymore you've got to throw it all out and buy a, a new one. And so you're coming in with a forklift to replace it all. And, and so, you know, it's kind of unfair for, for these customers and it makes it, you know, coming back to like body cams and all that, if you uh, have a huge cost to the storage, then you can't record as much. You can't keep it as long. And I think that uh, it's really important that, that companies have and organizations uh, have the ability to, to control when they want to replace that hardware. And be able to stretch it out further especially with like flash devices this stuff uh lasts a heck of a lot longer so there's no reason to go throw it out and and charge a city to replace it all every three years when they can get you know five six seven years of life out of it so that i think that's going to change it and and uh and also just you know the, the the open source technologies coming into it drives the cost down by about half so it's those things are going to make, I think, more storage available and then allow for more body cams and, and more, you know, just, you know, like having the cameras at the bus terminals and stuff like that so that uh, everybody is, uh, um, you know, uh, feeling safe, you know, around just everything, you know, so I think it, uh, yeah, you don't, you don't want a surveillance state, but I feel like in public places, there, there needs to be, uh, um, there needs to be the cameras, you know, if you're going to the bus terminal, if you're going to ride the subway, I, I feel more comfortable with a camera on uh, it there that, that and, and all that. Yeah. And, and, you know,
0: they can, you know, everything or every piece of technology can be used for both good and evil. I would say having it, you know, look at, look at the good things and why we have it versus, you know, the, here's all the evil things. And, the surveillance type of things that can be done to, you know, kind of track where you are, like contact tracing. You know, that's that's a whole nother conversation um, with, you know, seeing, you know, where you've been and who who you are close to. You know, just based on your cell phone data, et cetera. But that's probably a, another episode, and 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 maybe on a on a on an entirely new different podcast format, which. I've yet to create. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) that'd
1: be a good one. That would be another good one. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And um, just kind of rolling into the, the closing gumbo question, which is a a unique question that I ask everyone. And I've recently changed it as well. And of course, going with the sign of the times it's um, centered around some of the similar things that we were just talking about. And the question is Steve, uh, what makes you frustrated or angry enough that you would consider standing in front of a data center and protesting about it until there's change?
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, most of these data centers are out in the middle of nowhere. so if i would to go to protest there <laughs> it'd be me and yeah. me and some tumbleweed but uh, uh but but no it's a good question i you know the i did a sales trip over to the nordics for a conference uh last year and they had uh city networks which is one of the you know service providers out there uh speaking at the event mm-hmm. and actually a uh a, a local hydropower uh company and what was really interesting is is how they were talking about uh the lack of uh, water cooling in these data centers so i think that the biggest inefficiency in the data center today is the fact that all the heat just gets blown out into the air but if if they modify these servers and they uh, which, the, which HP and some other companies already have, like uh, like a heat rail on the rack where all the heat from the processor goes out uh, into the rail, and then now you can get a liquid, water or otherwise, usually you know some other kind of, of heat transfer fluid that can now start to reuse that energy and really drive uh, the efficiencies of these data centers to, to new levels, and it, it's it's good for the servers as well because now you're getting, you're able to exhaust a lot more heat because, you know, the air only has so much, uh, you know, heat capture capability. Um, so anyways, yeah, I think that, that that's something, I mean, it's just, we're, we're still running our, our servers, you know, using tech from the eighties and it's, uh, in terms of cooling and, uh, the, you see these kids, the, the kids are actually out in front of this. You see, uh, you, if you go to like some of these gaming conferences, you see these new uh, gaming rigs and they're all using water cooling <laughs> and all this. But you go to the data center and it's still, uh, it's, you know, they're just blowing fans over these processors and and all that heat just goes uh, and has to be recooled by by huge uh, HVAC systems and all of that, so it, it'll be neat to see that. I mean, global warming and all these other things. Data centers are big, uh, big consumers of, of energy, and I, I, it would be great to start to see them start to see them use start to use some of these uh, new cooling technologies and 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 uh, get to some new efficiencies.
0: Okay, great. Yeah, I've, I haven't looked at it from that perspective. So thanks, thanks for sharing that and uh is, is there any kind of way that i guess you would you know like for the gumbo listeners if they wanted to reach out to you maybe on social media or linkedin somewhere is that anything that you would like to share from that perspective
1: yeah um uh, send me a a, a linkedin invite um, i i use linkedin a lot uh steve umby uh there and then i do a lot of uh youtube uh stuff on on Ceph. I created like a good number of videos last week. I try to make a few each week. And uh, so we've got uh, on OS Nexus videos on YouTube. We've got some good, good uh, content, a little bit more about what we do. Okay.
0: Yeah. Well, it's definitely been a pleasure having you on Data Protection Gumbo, Steve. And uh, like always, I truly enjoy having you on the show and, you know, having, you know, some very pointed and up to date, conversations that that flow right along with the sign of the time. So thanks again. And uh, until next time.
1: Awesome. Thanks, uh, Demetrius. Thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it.
0: Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.